This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, modern, easy payroll benefits for small businesses across the country. And because you're a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. Find out at gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Diana Kander. She is a keynote speaker, innovation coach, and co-author of the book, The Curiosity Muscle, How Four Simple Questions Can Uncover Powerful Insights and Exponential Growth. So, Diana, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to be here, John. Thank you so much. So I've been doing this show for about 13 years, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, and I do believe you are the first husband and wife team that I've now had on the show. <laughs> your husband, Jason, was on a few months ago, so it's a first. Well, we like setting records. So uh, on behalf of the Candor family, thank you so much for this honor. So... The book, The Curiosity Muscle, is written as a fable, a business fable about institutionalizing curiosity. So maybe set the plot up for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the plot is what happens to most companies once they experience success is they get really comfortable, very complacent, and they lose their curiosity. They start thinking that they know their customers better than the customers know themselves. And what happens is you quickly lose touch with your customers and start becoming irrelevant. And this happens frequently with large organizations uh, when they find out that it is much harder to stay at the top than it was to get there. So, and you wrap it around a, a fictional character. That's uh, uh, yes, and, a gym franchise. And so, um, your previous book, um, I think you did the same thing. I did. Maybe you don't have a lot of experience to answer this question, but I, you know, I was once asked to write a fable uh, type of book um, on referrals, and I just I started the process, and I found it so much harder than just telling people what to do. Well, that's how I feel about nonfiction books, John. So <laughs> I, I've started writing nonfiction books, and I'm like, uh, I can't really talk about my former clients and what they went through because I've signed all these non-disclosures. But if I write a fiction book, I can talk about everybody and everything as long as it's a fictional story. And, and wink, wink, the characters in this book do not represent anyone in real life, right? <laughs> no, they're an amalgam of lots and lots of companies that have gone through very, very similar experiences. In fact, Jim Collins wrote an uh, amazing book called uh, How the Mighty Fall, in which he describes the same process, but in a much more scientific way. And there's a, a very similar kind of loop uh, to companies that go out of business, and this is like the fictional version of that. A lot of my listeners are small business owners, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you one of the biggest problems with owning a business um, is that nobody promotes you to that position. You pretty much decide, I'm going to do this thing, and now everybody thinks you should have all the answers. And I think a lot of small business owners feel like they have to have all the answers, and that sort of leads to not only shutting off curiosity, but a whole heck of a lot of stress. So how as a small business owner do I get over that idea of feeling like I have to have all the answers? Everybody's looking to me. Well, I feel like it's no different than most people who get promoted to manager. They feel like they got promoted because they had the right answers, and so they have to keep generating them. So in both of those cases, I will tell you that the most successful people ask much better questions than they give answers. And they know that curiosity is the secret to unlocking exponentially better answers than whatever their gut initially says. 
Yeah, and as one of those small business owners, it took me a lot of years to learn that. I mean, people would come to me and ask me, people who worked with me or were trying to do a project for me would ask me a question. I felt like I had to tell them what to do. In fact, I felt like that's what they wanted. Um, uh-huh. And I later learned that they actually didn't want <laughs> the answer. They wanted me to say, what would you do? Right. <laughs> no, I mean, you can get so much further just by asking better questions. It's one of my things, you know, if you're unsatisfied with the results in any part of your life, what you need to do is ask better questions and you can significantly change them. So let's unpack the four questions. I'm going to go over them real fast, but I want to ask you questions specific to them. So they are, what are my blind spots? Am I prioritizing? Am I measuring the right thing? And how can you involve others to get what you want? So we'll, we'll tackle each of those. The first one, what are my blind spots? Um, it, it actually takes a degree of vulnerability to even admit that you have those. Absolutely. So most people think of their blind spots, they relate them to their um, like weaknesses. And so they're like, well, I know what I don't do well. I'm, I'm terrible at showing up on time <laughs> and, or whatever. Uh, but blind spots are, are not your weaknesses. Blind spots are things that you think you're doing well, but are actually you know, impacting your work. And so whatever problem it is that you're trying to solve, or if you're trying to understand your customers better, you always have blind spots and what you think you know about them. So creating some kind of a process or systematizing, staying in touch and understanding your customers, even as they evolve and change, that will help you not have blind spots um, that you know, if you don't uncover them, you might get blindsided one day by your customers. It's a terribly practical thing, too. I mean, how many people have created a product or a service and packaged it all up and went out to the market and the market went, well, I don't need that. <laughs> what were you thinking? And it's like the majority, mm. John, <laughs> right, the majority right. of people. Yeah. And, and so really great question. Am I prioritizing? Number two. And, and boy, this one. This one is so hard because, you know, people will have that strategy meeting and come up with the 19 things they need to get done this quarter. And, you know, I think one of the best things that question probably begs is like, what should we not be doing? Yeah. I mean, they never teach you what to not do uh, as a manager or small business owner. And you cannot be busy and curious at the same time. You cannot be busy and creative at the same time. You cannot be busy and innovate at the same time. And we as a society are busier than ever before, and we're producing less than ever before. And I think one of the things about that idea of not like focusing on am I prioritizing is you can make yourself busy. It's really easy <laughs> to make yourself Super easy. busy. Yeah. And so if you don't take, I mean, a couple of years ago, I started the practice of taking two days a week where I just don't do any appointments, no of these calls. Um, they're supposed to be my kind of focus time. Um, and that made all the difference in the world in terms of actually getting real important stuff done. Yeah. I think about my days as offense or defense and defense is like when I'm answering emails, when I'm doing things that other people have asked me to do. And that's not when I'm creating valuable content, creating work for my clients. And that's offense, right? That's, and you offense is what scores points. You're not going to get to your goals on defense alone, just by like checking your email. So I always think about my days, like, am I having the right proportion of offense to defense? Yeah, because let's face it, you know, defense pays less than minimum wage usually. (laughs) So I'm sorry for all the defensive people out there. It's just the truth. Uh, Defense (laughs) does not win championships in business. It does not score points. No. (laughs) All right. So the, the third one, and I think people really struggle with this, am I measuring the right thing? I mean, how the hell do I know? 
there's so many things I can measure. How do I know I'm figuring out the one that has impact? Well, I think this is particularly useful to your uh, your licensees and people who do duct tape marketing and even small business owners. Like it's so um, it's so alluring to measure uh, what are called vanity metrics. And these are numbers that make you feel good about the initiatives that you're taking, like how many visits to your website, how many people attended a conference, like numbers that can only go up, but they are not related to any actual substantive value for your company. So how do you measure numbers that can actually look bad for you <laughs> and to know whether or not you're actually going in the right direction or whether you should change course? Well, sometimes though, and here's what I struggle with. Sometimes I find things that are kind of intangible actually make, I mean, they're, they're, they're more the marker towards the fact that, yeah, you're, you're making progress. And I, and I know that sounds, I mean, because you, it's intangible, right? You can't really uh, put a spreadsheet around how many smiles we got today is something right, right, right. goofy well, like so, that. <laughs> uh, I, I like to introduce two questions. I call these failure metrics. So everybody has success metrics for their project. And those usually take a while to figure out whether you're going to be successful or not. But failure metrics, you can figure out much sooner. And that is asking yourself, how would I know if it's not working? And when would I know that? And in that case, you can measure the intangible. So like, if you have a speech that you're giving, and everybody's on, on their cell phones, you know, like, how would you know if it's not working? Well, people aren't uh, requesting you to give other speeches, or they're just not paying attention to you during your speech. So uh, failure metrics can be, are those intangible things that you're talking about? And you can find them much sooner than looking at your business at the end of the year and, and figuring out if you've hit the numbers. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? That's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal. It's modern. You might fall in love yourself. Hey, and as a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash tape. That's gusto.com slash tape. Let's talk about failure since you keep mentioning it. Um, yes. <laughs> I, you know, it's a hot topic right now in the startup world, and I'm sort of over it. I'm sort of sick of it because I think a lot of people have, have used it as – you know, this fail fast or, you know, figure out, you know, don't be afraid to fail. And I think that that's sort of a cop out. I, I'd like to turn it around and say, figure out how to succeed. Um, obviously, if something doesn't work, it's teaching you something, but I'm sort of tired of the word failure. So, <laughs> so there, I think it's overrated. Oh, I feel that way about uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, you know, all these words that get you. Look, I believe in the growth mindset, which has not yet been really corrupted. And that is no matter where you are today, you could always be better. And you can't be better without taking missteps. You know, like if I meet somebody um, and we were talking about ice skating and I say, have you ever fallen while ice skating? And they say, no, I've never fallen. It's amazing. I'm really quite good. Then I can definitively say you are not good at ice skating if you've never fallen, right? Because you've been like hanging on to the edge and not really like trying anything interesting. And that's how I feel about uh, failure or missteps. They are, you have to have some things that don't work out that push you forward to learn better. But with that said, uh, 
I believe in the concept of deliberate practice, which is not just like failing for failure's sake, but figuring out your blind spots and what you need to improve at uh, in order to increase the results of what you're working on. Yeah, I, I know it's become sort of cliche to say, but I'm, I mean, there to me, there is no failure. It's just a learning moment <laughs> for me, at that's least. Right. I mean, that's just kind of a mindset that I, I'm never going to stop doing what I'm doing. I just hopefully am taking in the uh, the feedback <laughs> and, and using it to get better. Yeah, but that takes a really long time for people to to grasp and feel that way. And I think that they're never going to feel that way until they experience some success. And, and it, you know, once you experience success in your life, you can always point to a pivotal failure in your life that created it or stemmed from it. So like uh, my first book was an, was a very successful book, sold a lot of copies and kicked off my speaking career, but I never would have started writing it if I didn't have a startup that was going horrible. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed that I started journaling as a way to deal with, with my feelings around it. So like, I think every big success stems from some kind of failure. Yeah, and and we're just talking semantics at this point. It's really more like what you do with it that really is the right. only <laughs> thing that really matters. So I think we're on question number four we haven't tackled yet. And I yep. this is actually my favorite because on the surface, it seems pretty simple, but I think it's more complex than that. How can you involve others to get what you want? And what I... And by the more complexity, it'd be pretty easy to say, yeah, be a team player, give others credit. But I think where this question gets really hard is how can you how can you get others to hold you accountable as a business owner? I think that's you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. I have nobody to hold me accountable and that would be a great way to get other people involved in helping me get what I want. Yeah, so uh, there's two parts to this question. The first is exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and that is there's there's been research done that you know, if you have a goal and you share that goal with somebody you care about, you are 65% likely to reach that goal, which is amazing. But if you set up a regular check-in with that person where you just tell them how it's going and, and what you're planning to do next, you are 95% likely to reach that goal. And that is the power of accountability on, on being able to reach whatever crazy dreams you set out for yourself. So that's kind of the first element. And the second element of it is back to how everybody puts pressure on themselves to come up with the big ideas. Oftentimes, when you involve other people in coming up with the ideas, they're going to have way better ideas than you. And they're going to feel an ownership stake in those ideas. So if you have a small retail location and you're trying to figure out how to get customers through the door, rather than you yourself thinking about how to do it, have a meeting with your team and just have them brainstorm. And sometimes they'll come up with crazy ideas and then they'll work on their ideas in their off time and feel really like that sense of ownership to execute on them much more than if you had come up with an idea uh, and, and put it on them. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that that over time, particularly people just stop coming up with ideas if they never get asked or they never uh, get involved. And so you, you kind of, you know, it's a vicious cycle. You kind of shut down the innovation that you could have. That's right. And they're closer to the customer oftentimes than you are. So they're going to have much better uh, opportunity or insight into opportunities than you will. So in addition to your writing and speaking, uh, you're a podcaster as well. Um, yes, so I am. 
a brand new podcast. So you were telling me, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not sure when people are listening to this. If you'll have new shows that you're publishing, but you uh, tell tell me the the premise for the show because I think, in, in addition to being incredibly useful, I think it's rather uh, a, a rather intriguing idea of what you're doing. So in the course of writing this book, The Curiosity Muscle, I gave myself a crazy audacious goal. So one of the subplots was a character in the book was trying to do a 10-minute plank. And I thought, well, I'll try it. Um, Like, I'm not going to get it. But if I try it, I can at least write about it in a much more realistic way. And at the time, I could do a one-minute plank. So 10 minutes seemed completely ridiculous to me. And I started applying these things, these principles that I teach organizations to myself. And in four and a half months of struggling with it, but, but sticking with it, I did an 11 and a half minute plank. And when I tasted that level of goal achievement, I was like, oh my God, what can't I do? So I sat down with a piece of paper and listed, okay, here are all of the things that I want to fix about myself. I have confidence issues and I have anxiety that I struggle with, like 49 different items. I'm horrible at making eyes. Eye contact. I'm terrible at taking compliments. Um, everything like I, I have insecurities about being a mom. So everything I want to improve about myself as a professional. And then I use the podcast as a way to hold myself accountable to working on each of these things. So every week I talk to an expert who will help me uncover blind spots in those areas um, that I would never have guessed on my own and try things that I never would have uh, thought to try. And, you know, I've been having some very significant results. So uh, in addition to being a podcast, it's sort of a self-improvement project that you have somebody holding you accountable in some ways. I mean, because you're putting, right. putting it out there I, to the world. So it's awesome. I have this formula in my life, John, which is the scarier something is, the more people I need to hold me accountable to it. So the more I'll broadcast it. So working on 49 different things is very scary for me and very vulnerable. So I just try to tell as many people as possible. So, Diana, where can people find out more about you and your work and hopefully tune into the podcast? Yeah, they can find everything at dianacander.com, links to uh, books, speaking, uh, and the podcast. And the podcast is called Professional AF, uh, which just means really professional. <laughs> so the AF means nothing, huh? Just That's what that's – what, <laughs> That's, people ask me what it means, and it means really, really <laughs> professional. Awesome. And so uh, that's dianacanderer.com, and we'll have it in the show notes as well. So, Diana, great book, The Curiosity Muscle. You have a T-shirt um, that I tell people all the time that curiosity is my superpower, and I need to. I, need, I guess I need a T-shirt from you, but I'm not sure. I, I wanted to bring you one, but I only have them in women's cut so i can offer them to your daughters or your wife john i don't have a unisex version yet so i have a story that it may or may not be true i grew up with um i have seven brothers and two sisters so 10 10 of us and my mom used to tell a story and like i said i have no idea if it's true or not but when they would take us all somewhere um dad would say you watch the other nine and i'll watch john and uh, it's because <laughs> I have a very strong curiosity muscle. Well, I, I think that can only, uh, you know, get you into trouble when you're young, but get you into a lot of opportunities uh, as an adult. I agree. I credit it with every the 30-year the, the journey I've been on is just bouncing from one thing I'm curious about to another. So that's why the, the title of this book intrigued me so.
thank you for being curious about the book and for inviting me on the show. And uh, this is the most fast-paced uh, interview I've ever done, but uh, also the most exhilarating. So thank you so much. And we didn't mention this, but you're just down the street in Kansas City, Missouri. So it's always fun to, to interview somebody in my hometown, which I don't get to do enough. I know. There's... There's a lot of us authors lurking around. Well, I typically end this show, as some listeners will recall, saying, I hope I bump into you soon out there on the road. And uh, I'd say it's probably more likely with you than than many others. (laughs) So thanks for joining us, uh, Diana. And uh, again, I will end it as I always do. Hopefully I'll see you somewhere out there on the road. Ditto, John. Talk to you soon. 